This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of July 10th, 2023. Before we get to the main business, let's discuss our business. Emily, how's it going? It's going all right. Quiet week. Kind of nice summer week with the kids at summer camp and things are relatively quiet at the church. I went to see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny the other day Mm. and I found it very enjoyable. That's what I've heard. I've yeah. heard only good things. Mm-hmm. They also did some kind of technology thing where they aged Harrison Ford down mm-hmm. to do like young Indiana Jones scenes for portions of the movie. I saw some interview with him. He's been filmed a lot. So they mm-hmm. just like they put <laughs> they they had some computer with all of the images of his face from all of his previous Indiana Jones films and then they had him do the acting and then they, you know, used some kind of technology kind of thing magic, yeah. To, mm. I guess the short version is they can deep fake him really, really well because there is a ton of video footage of him. Yeah, I guess we've encountered deep fake as a thing before. I just hadn't thought about the application of like an actor can act and then you can use that to have them be in their 30s or whatever instead of in their 80s. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, it was it was kind of cool. Very fun movie. Very on brand, very action packed. Good, nice. good, some good summer movie, and looking forward to Barbenheimer, which we will probably not see as a double feature per se, but we're going to see both. I, I, I know people say that and make that joke. I can't imagine doing that, going so from many, one to the other. I know so many people who are going to do the Barbenheimer double feature. It does. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I also can't imagine spending that much time at a movie theater. Hmm. I like uh, being at a movie theater. In straight. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I don't have a problem. I mean, I guess I could do it. Yeah. In the next week or so, because I am currently by myself. My family is on a trip to my wife's like big family reunion. And I stayed behind to work on finding a job. So Hmm. that's part of what I'm doing. I'm also doing, you know, relaxation and other stuff. Nice. Um, So I, I suppose I could go. And see three movies. But (laughs) the idea of doing that in like a normal situation of my life is just so outside of the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe I will. But hey, you're you're free as a bird. No parenting. House to yourself. Yeah. Just one dog who likes to wake me up before six o'clock anyway. (laughs) Oh, dogs. Yes. Yeah. But... That's okay. It gives me time to watch Jeopardy. So on Monday, nice July segue. 10th. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm very, very good at those. We have the contestants, James Tyler, a senior editor from Blandon, Pennsylvania. Dillery Johnston, a pottery teacher from Maplewood, New Jersey. And Alex Gordon, a medical student from Summers, New York, whose two-day cash winnings total $41,500. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, word puzzles. Edible Etymology, The High Seas, with C in quotation marks, International Supermodels, Momentous Dates, and 
Kander and Ebb musicals. Mm-hmm. The trend of lots of food categories continued. Continues. Continues mm-hmm. with edible etymology. Yes. Uh, yeah. The $600 level, I did not know this. The name of this garnishing herb comes from words meaning rock and celery. That is parsley. I can see yeah. it now. In terms of the word? Inter- yeah. Yeah. Par, par like being related to like Pierre and mm-hmm. like Peter, right? Like those are like that, that root, I assume. Yeah, I, I would also assume. Yeah. Although why you would call parsley rock celery. Yeah, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not really sure about that. But once you get enough people calling something something, that's just what it's called. Yeah. Whether it makes sense or not. Mm-hmm. I thought the word puzzles were kind of hard. Yeah, I, I agree. They were certainly more difficult than I would normally put a, a Jeopardy round word puzzle category at. Yeah. Although Alex did pretty mm. well. He got three of the five. Yeah. Yeah, they were... I'm good with wordplay, but these particular ones were like kind of a little bit more, I don't know, brain teasery or something. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm having a hard time thinking about how I would describe them in an audio medium. So I don't yeah. think I'm going to try. <laughs> but yeah. for anyone who didn't see the episode, they were particularly tricky. I guess the thousand dollar level, the screen showed the word communion with the letter I on each side of it and then the clue was where the ball thrown in my direction conked me and that is right between the eyes right so communion is a right r-i-t-e and then the letter i on each side right between the eyes so mm-hmm. you know that's an example of the kind of thing that they were doing daily double number one is in momentous states at the 400 hundred dollar level pick number six james finds it he's at a thousand with Alex at 2200 and Dillery at zero. James wagers 1000 true daily double, and gets the clue on January 3, 1521, the Catholic Church excommunicated this man. And he gets it correct. It's Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Alex is at 8200 Dillery at 1600 James at 3200 And the double Jeopardy categories are quotable books, lakes and rivers, stitch incoming, Wallpaper, pop culture, puri, and homophones. Pop culture, puri. Puri. <laughs> it's two words that you're trying. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> you're putting a suffix on two on a two-word term. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Is this supposed I- to be a show of learning and knowledge? <laughs> Absurd. Absurd. I was astounded that the wallpaper category did not mention the yellow wallpaper. The, is it a short story? Is it a novella? I don't know. Yeah. I was like, I, I was I like, know. I don't know what you can ask about wallpaper, except that I remember this one thing from my British literature class. Mm-hmm. So maybe surely that will be in there. Maybe they thought that was too low hanging fruit. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe that's the sixth clue or something. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if it was the sixth clue. But it was more about actual styles of wallpaper and like art and design history kinds of things. I think I am okay with wallpaper being a thing that people don't use too much anymore. I just remember having to wallpaper. Like as a kid, we'd move mm. into a new house and my mom would want wallpaper and my dad would be angry because he would be the one who has to put the wallpaper up. Mm-hmm. And so we would help him. And it was not pleasant. <laughs> 
Yeah. And also, I don't know. I just think a plain paint color looks just better. Yeah, I agree. It's Uh, a wall. It doesn't need to be anything more than a wall. Yeah. Yes. I live in a house owned by a church. And so the wallpaper was here when I got here and... It we're will just, be there when you leave. We're just living with it. Yeah. Wallpaper is an especially bad idea if it's a really old house and it's settled quite a lot mm-hmm. so that the edges are not really straight. Good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many wallpaper places in my house make me so twitchy. <laughs> oh, good Lord. We had a triple stumper, really, really the lakes and rivers category. Going back to my river deep dive, I remember mentioning this one, the $2,000 clue. Tributaries of this 1,500-mile-long Australian river include the Darling and the Murrumbidgee. Uh, It's the Murray, the biggest river Mm -hmm. system in Australia. I remember talking about that. I also talked about that in my Australia deep dive. Yes, you sure did. Yeah. Yeah. All over the place. Mm -hmm. Did I remember it? I did not. But someday I will. (laughs) Maybe you will now. Yeah. The $800 level of quotable books, Niccolo Machiavelli's work, The Prince, advises that it is much safer to be feared than this. James Scott, it was loved. I always hear the office quote, the the Michael Scott, would I rather be feared or loved? Both. (laughs) I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. (laughs) Daily Double number two is in the quotable books category at the $1,600 level. Pick number 18. James uncovers it. Uh, he's at 7,600 now. Alex is way out at 13,800 and Diller is at 9,200. Uh, he wagers 3,000 to get back in the mix. I gets the clue. In 1958, the Dharma bums, he wrote, it was all completely serious, all completely hallucinated, all completely happy. And he gets correct with who is Kerouac of, mm-hmm. the, of the Jack variety. Yep. And Daily Double number three is in the Stitch Incoming category. Is Stitch Incoming only a TikTok thing, or is that something you've encountered in other places? I have never heard it, so it must just be a TikTok thing. Yeah, Stitch Incoming is if somebody is stitching a video, often especially a video that they don't agree with, right? Mm. And they, they want to encourage people to stick it out through content that they might normally scroll past, right? Gotcha. They'll put like a stitch incoming banner mm-hmm. on yep. the original video to indicate oh. that you should you should wait for their commentary. Got it. Yeah. Uh, but stitch incoming was just all about like different kinds of surgery. This daily doubles at the $1,200 level. Pick number 25. Alex finds it. He is at 15,000 with Dillery at 10,400 and James at 12,200. And I had some mixed feelings about Ken's prompt for a wager. How confident are you in a medical category, Alex? He said, which Alex then responded to by wagering 12,000. He is a medical student. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I agree. And then the clue here is Joba Chamberlain used the scar from the elbow surgery named for this fellow pitcher as part of a smiley face tattoo. And Alex has no idea. He tries who is DiMaggio. Tommy John is what they were looking for. And I guess that is a medical question. It's really more a baseball question. It's more a baseball question, right? And there's an asymmetry of information because the host knows, right? right. The, host, the host knows what the question is. And so like whether it is really a medical question or it's really not, like somehow I feel like 
maybe I hadn't thought about it before. Maybe maybe if it were truly a medical question, it wouldn't register as, you know, swaying the wager. Yeah, I I, I get what you're saying because he didn't Ken didn't need to say anything. Right. I mean, he was he was playing the host and that's good. Mm-hmm. But it ended up I mean, whether it was Ken's fault or not, this clue ended up costing Alex $12,000. Yeah. Yeah, and and ultimately the game, I I would mm-hmm. say, you know, there's he's in a small lead. There is 8800 left on the board and he makes this huge wager and drops down. Yeah, to almost yeah. nothing. Mhm. Yeah. So going into Final Jeopardy, Alex manages to get himself back to 3,000. Dillery is at 10,400 and James is at 14,200. And the Final Jeopardy category is art art history. The clue at the 1865 Paris Art Salon, the elder of these two men said if the younger were successful, it would be because his name sounded like mine. Alex got it correct with who are Manet and Monet. And he wagered 2,500, so he got up to 5,500. Dillery wrote who is Manet, but didn't write Monet also, and wagered 10,000. I think that's too much. She mm-hmm. dropped to 400. And then James wrote who is Monet and wagered 6,000. So he dropped to 8,200. So if Dillery had wagered small, she could have won. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I heard, I don't know, a lot of people saying things like, that this clue should have been more clear that they're asking for two names. I realized two, two of the contestants. Men. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I don't know how more how how much clearer they could have made it. I realize they're yeah. asking a I, the question asks about the elder of these two men, but like, if I don't know, if you're on Jeopardy, you look for what it's asking for. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But anyway, James ends up winning. Yep. And that brings us to Tuesday. The contestants are Aaron Sheedy, a library science graduate student from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Justin White, a director of orchestra personnel from Overland Park, Kansas. And James Tyler, a senior editor from Blandon, Pennsylvania, whose one-day cash winnings total $8,200. And the Jeopardy round categories are Space Cuisine, So You Got Your M-A, M-A in quotation marks, Cartoon Critters, First Name Verbs, Friends, and In High Places. Friends in High Places is like the original idiom. Is that right? Is and it? then is it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And then Friends in Low Places is a I, play on that? I I think that that may be so. I was like, oh, it's a play on Friends in Low Places. And then I was like, wait, I think it's the other way around. So I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure how to even look that up. Hmm. But I found myself found myself wondering. Not a single Disney cartoon critter to be found. Not a single one. How dare they? I I just assumed that there would be some Disney in here, but yeah, I mean they're, they they have a lot of them. They do. Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed that category. It was uh, fun to get you know Sonic the Hedgehog at the four hundred dollar level. Mm-hmm. Although it refers to the movies, you know, the 2022 sequel to the movie about this video game hedgehog finds him jamming to Here Comes the Hot Stepper. But I mean, we should remember that there's an entire animated Sonic the Hedgehog series from the 90s, where at the end, you learn uh, valuable life lessons and I guess morals from the Sonic Says section. Mm <laughs> hmm. 
and also that it's important to look both ways before you cross the street or something like that it there's mm-hmm. they have this little like three minute thing at the end of every episode for like now remember kids eat your vegetables or like whatever that stuck with me for a while i've also had my kids watch it my older daughter nice. very much enjoys it and then at the thousand dollar level <laughs> rainbow dash is a daredevil pegasus in this magical animated series james guessed what is adventure time not a bad guess mm-hmm but Justin got it. It's My Little Pony. Yep. We like Rainbow Dash here. Yeah. Ken also knows that, apparently, because he says friendship is magic. Yes. <laughs> Which is technically, I, I think, technically the, the full name of the show. Yeah. Because there's an earlier, like an older cartoon series. Yeah. Did not have Rainbow Dash. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But. We like Rainbow Dash, too. I hear all of the My Little Pony names in like kind of like toddler ease, you know, Wainbow Wayne, mm-hmm. Wayne Wayne Dash, Dash. Mm-hmm. Wayne Wayne Dash, Dash, Twilight Sparkle. <laughs> yeah, Twilight Sparkle. Apodac. Mm-hmm. Apodac is a good one, yeah. yeah. Um, they didn't know the two friends at the $800 level. Conversations about language and myths initially bonded these two titans of fantasy influencing each other and their work. They showed a picture. It's C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I recognize the picture of Lewis. I did not recognize that picture of Tolkien. Mm. I, I don't know if that affected anybody, but I feel like I've seen pictures of him and I was unsure that that was actually him. Yeah. I think I'd seen that picture of him before. Um, but in any case, like if you're if you if they show you a picture of C.S. Lewis and they're like, you know, this guy and his friend, right? Like, yeah, I'm, this <laughs> other fantasy writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it should lead you there. Yeah. There's also I feel like this has been a, a Jeopardy question before the thousand dollar level of in high places located in Colorado and named for metal ore at approximately 10,150 feet. It's the highest incorporated city in the USA. That's Leadville. I just think. in case Telluride. And Ken said that was a good guess. Was it a good, is Telluride a type of metal? I don't think it is. I don't know. Ken, just naming Colorado cities, I guess. Yeah, they did ask about Leadville in December of 2020, so. Okay, only two and a half years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it was in Learned Lake too, but I feel Mm -hmm. like Leadville comes up a lot. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in first name verbs at the thousand dollar level. Uh, pick number five. This is where they started and just went down the column. Aaron finds it. She's at a thousand. James is also at a thousand. Justin's at negative six hundred. She wagers a thousand. Gets a clue to give, like a wish, and she gets correct with what is to grant. Mm-hmm. Grant. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, much later, James is at forty two hundred. <laughs> Justin's at three thousand, and Aaron is at fifty four hundred. Uh, we have the double Jeopardy categories. A century ago, nineteen twenty three. God, they keep doing this. <laughs> two books in one. You'll need to name the two books by the same author. You need to give two titles. B in music with B in quotation marks. A game of cards. City folk and seven letter words. Mm-hmm. That two books in one. I I also had a hard time with. I got the ones that the contestants got. So Bleak Expectations is Great Expectations and Bleak House. Mm. The Hunt for Present Danger is The Hunt for Red October and Claire and Present Danger. And then all the pretty old men <laughs> was all the pretty horses and no country for old men. I got those mm-hmm. ones. And then I, I also missed dandelion 451. I couldn't remember dandelion wine. Mm-hmm. I got Fahrenheit 451. And then sharp girl. I remembered gone girl, but I was like, I don't know what, a, what the other one is. That's sharp mm-hmm. objects. Yeah. I sort of got as far as 
I'm not sure I'd brought Gillian Flynn's name to mind, but I was like, oh, you know, that kind of like thriller kind of psychological, you know, whatever. But I, I had not brought either name to mind. I did remember Dandelion Wine. So I felt nice. great about that. Yeah. Nice. Be in music had some good classical music questions. It did indeed. I hadn't heard of this the $2,000 level. This German music festival has been presenting the works of Wagner since 1876. Be, do, you, do you know, how does that pronounce? I think it's like Bayreuth. Bayreuth. Yeah, that, that makes sense with the, the German. But Aaron got in on, on one of those, but mostly this was Justin's category, which makes sense. Yeah. Director he started of orchestra there. personnel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where I would have gone. That category is also where we find Daily Double number two. Justin finds it, of course. He just starts at that category and works his way down. So $1,200 level at pick number three. He's at 4200 tied with James. Aaron's at 5400 He wagers 2800 And he gets the clue Russian by birth. He composed the patriotic song heard here for his beloved adopted country. And the song that's playing is an or- like a, like an instrumental orchestral maybe i don't remember arrangement of god bless america he can't remember who wrote god bless america it's irving berlin it is irving berlin i wonder if he couldn't make it out yeah because i feel like that's one that he would know yeah and i wonder if he couldn't quite tell what was being played yeah but uh, i don't know maybe maybe not Mm -hmm. but also I imagine he was really in his head about, oh, I've got to get this because otherwise it's going to be really embarrassing. Right. <laughs> I know I felt that way about a number of clues. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then he got sure. most of that back. He got most of it back later on the Bayright question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Daily Double number three is over in a game of cards at the $1,200 level. Pick number eight. And Justin finds this one as well. He's gotten himself back up to 3,800. James is at 5,000. Aaron's at 7,000. And he wagers 2,200. Gets the clue. There are two types of booze in this two-player game. And he gets it correct with what is gin rummy. Mm-hmm. Friggin' learned league. Yeah, we just had that one. We had a controversial one. I, mm, I didn't put gin rummy because I was like, I know that you start with a different number of cards. So I'll try Ooh. something else. Ooh. I know that this is I know that this clue is not pointing to gin rummy because I know that the rules say that you start with a different number of cards. But apparently that's just fine to be, you know, play fast and easy with. Hmm. So there are like variations in the rules and you I or guess something like that. Not according if you look up the official rules, no. <laughs> but I guess it's acceptable. You can just huh. make up rules. Thorsten. Hmm. hmm. Anyway. Scandalous. Yes. Oh. All right. Well, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, James is at 15,000. Justin's at 9,200. Aaron is at 7,000. The final Jeopardy category is Olympic teams. And the clue is a city of about 2.5 million people. Since 1984, for political reasons, it has been in the name of an Olympic team. And I had a couple different places come to mind for me that it might have been about and one of them was right so hey Erin guessed what is Pittsburgh that is (laughs) not correct (laughs) that's where she's from she and Ken had a fun moment where he asked what Olympic team she felt maybe had Pittsburgh in the name and she said all the good ones (laughs) Um, 
It's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. She didn't wager anything, so she stays at 7,000. Justin got it correct with what is Taipei. He's wagered 5,501, which brings him up to 14,701. I'm not quite sure why 14,701. He needs 14,001 to cover an all-in from Aaron. So I'm not totally sure what the thinking is here. I but do. anyway... James tried what is Serbia and Montenegro. He didn't get Montenegro written in its entirety, but that doesn't matter because if he had, it would not be correct. He's wagered 4,000. That drops him to 11,000. And that means that Justin is the winner. Yeah. So Taipei, you know, because of the diplomatic situation with Taiwan. Yeah. Um, and China. Yeah. And China. Yes. So Justin comes from second place to win the game. Yeah. So on Wednesday, we have the contestants Mia McGill, a communications specialist from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Itai Sofer, a digital journalist and news producer from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Justin White, a director of orchestra personnel from Overland Park, Kansas, who just won $14,701. Jeopardy round categories are State Insects, The Blank of Canada, Revival, TV Quick Takes, Slang, and Reading with Jenna Bush Hager. That was a video category. Mm-hmm. I thought Mia's energy was kind of fun <laughs> and she took us as soon as she got control of the board she went for the thousand dollar level of slang somewhat akin to down low in this other low which can proceed goaded when x is the vibe Mia got that one it is low key but she said, she, she, she said the whole phrase the whole phrase I understand what low key means but the rest of the phrase is a mystery to me Low-key goaded when X is the vibe. I understand what vibe means also. I've got the first okay. and last words. Goaded means like the greatest. Okay. And I think, I don't know, I don't know if X is actually X or if it's just like a placeholder. Okay. But. <laughs> it's very nerdy to like put in, put I in mean, a placeholder letter, <laughs> like algebra. I have no idea. Solve maybe, for the maybe vibe. Not. All I know is this is the this is the kind of, you know, algebra that I have to do or had to do when <laughs> students would use this kind of language with me. I'd be like, all right, you need to you need to give me like 30 seconds to decipher what you just said, because I have to work through it one piece at a time. Mm-hmm. Solve for the vibe is the episode title. I don't care what the deep dive is about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't going to be about that because me, I got it. Yeah. The blank of Canada category was apparently things that have been referred to as you know, the whatever of Canada. So like the Gemini Awards last given in 2011 for excellence in television. These after awards first given in 1949 is the Emmys of Canada. Mm-hmm. And it was various things like that. They entered that category at the $800 level and it showed a picture, national symbol, Johnny Canuck. This after a national symbol he's shown kicking out of the country in an 1869 cartoon. Uh, he's apparently the Uncle Sam of Canada. Yeah, that, that's Weird. a lot to unpack on it your is. first clue of the category. <laughs> yeah, that one was not the one to start with. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Itai's response, which turned out to be correct at the $800 level of revival. The clue was, I got the leads for this mammoth play revived in 2005. Leave Schreiber as Ricky Roma and Alan Alda as Shelley Levine. And he rang in and then he said, and then he like shook his head like, oh, he shouldn't have rung in. He said, I'm sorry. What is Glengarry Glenn Ross? Which was correct. But we're all sorry for Glengarry Glenn Ross. <laughs> we sure are. <laughs> yeah. 
They also they also shouted out where I live at the six hundred dollar level of that category. Many homes in Westchester County, New York. That's right here. Feature this revival yeah. style named for a dynasty founded by Henry the Seventh. That's a Tudor Tudor revival. I think I know what Tudor revival looks like. I'm not sure I could have come up with it, except that they said, oh, it's like common Westchester County. I was like, oh, it must be those like, you know, kind of old fashioned, like, you know, stone and like kind of stucco-y looking ones. Sure. Um, I don't know if that's actually stucco or like what, but, but yeah, that's when they said many homes in Westchester County, I was like, oh, that's what you call those. Well, now, you know, Yeah. now you can tell everyone in your town, like, did you know that this is Tudor style? They, they probably do. And they'll say yes. And you'll say, well, (laughs) good for you. (laughs) Daily Double number one is at the $800 level of state insects. Pick number 10. Itai finds it. He is at 1,000 with Justin at 1,200 and Mia at 2,000. He wagers all 1,000. And he gets the clue, this industrious insect, important to agriculture, was chosen by Nebraska and Missouri. And he didn't seem super confident when he responded, what is a honeybee? But that is correct. So he doubles up. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Itai is in the lead with 5,800. Mia's at 4,200. Justin's at 3,400. And the double Jeopardy categories are Roman emperors, double vowel places, hi there with hi in quotation marks, Kevin sent, walking and talking, and taking a ride. The the $1,600 level of taking a ride was a triple stumper in 1961. He became the first American to ride into space, apparently enjoying the area. He took a walk on the moon 10 years later. Justin, guess who is John Glenn? That's Alan Shepard, though. John Glenn Mm -hmm. was the first to orbit the Earth and then also was the oldest person to go into space much later. But Shepard was was in the Gemini missions, I think, Mm -hmm. and then also, also in the Apollo on the Apollo missions as well. Mm-hmm. They didn't listen to your deep dive about Caligula that I definitely remembered you doing from the I Roman Emperor. I had this conversation already. My, it's your, it's your it's deep mine. dive. My deep dive. I can't remember it. I mean, I remember that this was Caligula, but I can't even remember that I did it. The $69 well, it level. Well, you've learned something about Caligula. So I guess, no. I guess. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Uh, yeah. From Roman emperors, it was Incatatus was this emperor's favorite horse. And legend says he once tried to make the animal a consul. That was Caligula. No one tried it. Yeah. Although, although Itai responded classic Caligula. Which... Classic Caligula. <laughs> That's right. Which it really is. You know, that's yeah. he's not wrong. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about the fact that I keep coming back to this guess, hoping it'll be right at some point. And, and this time it was, except I was on my couch. Kevin sent at the $2,000 level. Kevin McDonald was Sir Simon Milligan and Dave Foley, his manservant, Hecubus, on this youthful Canadian sketch show. Whenever a quiz question asks for a sketch show, and I'm not sure, I just say Kids in the Hall. Kids and the this hall. time, it was Kids in the Hall. Justin got it. It was, in fact, Kids in the Hall. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is in the double vowel places. Uh, category at the $1,200 level. It's only pick number three in the round. Justin uncovers it. He is at 1800 He ties at 4200 and Mia is also at 4200 so he has some catching up to do. He wagers 1800 and gets the clue, the sea of this, a name big in the Bible, is really a freshwater lake that gets most of its inflow from the Jordan River. And he gets it correct with what is the Sea of Galilee, which uh-huh. we've talked about before. Yep. And Daily Double number three is in Roman Emperors at the $1,200 level. Pick number 11, Itai finds this one. He is 
at 7,000, in the lead with Justin at 4,400, and Mia at 3,400. He wagers 2,000, and he gets the clue. Adrian had his wall, and this cousin, who immediately preceded him, had his column. He doesn't know. He tries who is Constantine, but Trajan, Emperor Trajan, is who they were looking for here. Yes, indeed. At the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Justin is at 4,800, Itai is at 6,600, and Mia's at 6,200. It's a low-scoring game here. Yeah. And it's close. And the final Jeopardy category is Names the Same. The clue is a 1931 Charlie Chaplin film and a West Coast bookstore opened since 1953. Both bear this name. They all got it with what is City Lights. Mm -hmm. Uh, Justin wagered 45-14, went up to 93-14. Mia wagered 6,000 and Itai wagered a cover bet of 5,801. And so he is the winner. Mm-hmm. And on Thursday, the contestants are Dennis Lung, a biotech scientist from Half Moon Bay, California, Kathy Barkey, an engineer from Kingston, New York, and Itai Sofer, a digital journalist and news producer from New Orleans, Louisiana whose one-day cash winnings total 12401 And the Jeopardy round categories are from the headlines, live cams, eat it, wear it, or sit on it, nonfiction, our song with R in quotation marks, and animal expression. The $800 level of our song in a 2010 number one, Pink instructed, do this if you are wrong in all the right ways. That's raise your glass. My kids have... I guess recently come upon a a playlist. Maybe my wife put it together. I don't know. They have a playlist of like, you know, girl empowerment kinds of songs, (laughs) you know, like this girl's on fire, wrecking Mm -hmm. ball, you know, things like that. And raise your glasses in there. So it's really funny to hear my little kids not know really any of the words, but try to sing along Hmm. as it's going along. And that just made me think of them. (laughs) I miss him so much. Aw. Not really. They can, Well, they can take their time. Yeah. Was it you who told me that the term, this is going over to the live cams category at the $1,000 level, the term wailing wall is considered offensive? I am not sure if it's widely considered offensive, but okay. I, have heard, I have heard at least some people say, oh, we prefer Western wall because wailing wall like makes it sound like the building is a place of sorrow or I don't know. Yeah, but I, that was me. Okay. Gotcha. The clue was, you can see people praying day and night at this holy site. That was part of a structure surrounding the Temple of Jerusalem. That's the Western Wall. Mm-hmm. Dennis got that one. Yeah. Have you encountered the Mount St. Helens uh, Twitter account? I haven't. Okay. From the headlines, $600 level. The Oregonian, May 19th, 1980. Eruption decapitates this peak. Kathy got it. That's Mount St. Helens. The the Twitter account is, it's feisty. I like it a lot. It really just likes to, I don't know, it, it just keeps like trying to pick a fight with Mount Rainier. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and it, it's just really good. I just enjoy it a lot. She said Mount St. Helens or Helena? Hel- yeah, which-, but, which is incorrect, but Ken had already ruled her correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a Mount St. Helena. It's a, it's a different, it's a different mountain, right? right. Yeah. I think so. But if Kenneth had not already said yes, you know. Yeah, that would have been that would have been tricky. In Eat It, Wear It, or Sit On It at the $200 level with nearly 30-inch legs, Ikea's Ingvar is this type of seat that's perfect for throwing back some cold ones. Itai tried what is a love seat. Kathy tried what is a recliner. I think nobody thought about 
what does a 30 inch leg look like on a piece of furniture? This is a bar stool, right? So it's really tall, like 30 inches is tall, right? Like that's a, that's high for a seat height. Mm -hmm. So that's what you needed to notice there. Right. The throwing back some cold ones threw me off. I was like a beer chair. What's a beer chair? (laughs) A beer chair. (laughs) A a brew seat. I don't know. What am I like? What's the, like I was, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Daily Noble number one is in animal expressions at the $600 level. Pick number 14, Dennis finds it. They've been all actually staying very close this game. He's at 3200 Itai's at 3400 and Kathy's also at 3200 He bets it all. I love it. Gets a clue. A call at a frequency inaudible to humans or a political statement with a hidden secondary meaning. And he gets it correct with what is a dog whistle. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Itai's at 4,000, Kathy's at 5,000, and Dennis is at 9,400. The double jeopardy categories are flight seeing across America, flowery poetry and prose, medicine, movie before and after, religious objects and symbols, and Espanyo. Mm-hmm. Each response will end with the letter O. I don't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am not Hispanic, so I, I, I hope that that is not offensive. <laughs> But I, I don't know. It felt it felt a little weird to me. Yeah, I immediately forgot the category. And uh, when the two thousand dollar clue came out, this type of tequila, Spanish for rested, takes a siesta in its barrel for several months, developing a golden hue. I was like, "What is reposada?" Which was a triple stumper. It was reposado. Mm. Yeah, um, reposado. I forgot the category. <laughs> the the one thing they told. Well, I guess two things. It would be in Spanish and it would end with O. Right. Yeah. Rough. Rough round. Yeah. Not a lot of correct responses. Itai did okay, but the others, Dennis didn't even get in for like 20 clues. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I liked the religious objects and symbols category, of course. Why? For reasons we didn't get the we didn't get to the four hundred dollar level clue on mm. that one. We left we left a couple of clues on the board, and that was one of them. We had a triple stumper asking for a Christmas nativity scene shown here. They had a picture which goes by this French name. That's a crash. The sixteen hundred dollar level, a symbol of Judaism, blown on special occasions, has this name in Hebrew. And Itai got that one. It's a shofar. And like, this is the kind of not absolute surface level religious knowledge that I have been wanting from Jeopardy. So good on Mm. them. Yeah. Movie before and after at the $1,600 level. The clue was Rex Harrison teaches Audrey Hepburn how to speak proper English and vocalize like Billie Holiday. And Kathy rang in with what is My Fair Lady Day. They also would have taken My Fair Lady Sings the Blues. Yeah. Lady Day and Lady Day, Lady Sings the Blues are both Billy, Billy Holiday movies. Is that right? Sure, I know Lady Sings the Blues. I don't, I don't know Lady Day. Yeah. Hmm. Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill was a 2016 TV movie <laughs> with Audra McDonald. So, I guess that's so you why. Think th- that's it. I I think that they were really looking for Lady Sings the Blues, but maybe got stuck having to take yeah. Lady Day. I don't know. I don't hmm. know. I, I didn't remember Lady Sings the Blues, but I remembered that Billie Holiday is known as Lady Day. So I, I would absolutely have rung in with that same answer. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what they took. Yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah. Daily double number two is in religious objects and symbols. Pick number 15. It's at the $1,200 level. Itai finds it. He's at 12000 with Kathy at 5800 and Dennis at 9400 So he's got, he's got a decent lead and he wagers 2000 of it. He gets the clue measuring about 14 and a half feet long. It was called by Pope John Paul II, a mirror of the gospel. I think he misses that measurement there. He tries what is the Sistine Chapel, which yeah. is significantly longer than 14 and a half feet long. The Shroud of Turin is what they were looking for here. Right. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in the flowery poetry and prose category. $800 level pick number 27. Itai finds it. He's up to 10,400. Kathy's at 6,600. And Dennis is at 13,400. He wagers 3,100 to take a a small lead. Mm -hmm. And he gets the clue. The Spike Jones film adaptation is about trying to bring this steal of a book by Susan Orlean to the big screen. And he gets it correct with what is the orchid thief? Mm-hmm. I I got a little stuck because I forgot which category we're, we were in, and I was like, I don't see how to make it a movie before and after. <laughs> that's you know, that's a good point. It's just just one, just one movie, um, mm-hmm. one movie about one book. But Utah, I remember what category they were in. But Dennis picks up a little bit more money and retakes the lead right before they head into Double Jeopardy. So Dennis is in the lead with 13,800. Itai 300 behind him with 13,500 and Kathy at 6,600. The final Jeopardy category is famous ships. And the clue is this first U.S. battleship ever built was launched in 1889, but lasted less than nine years. Kathy got it correct with what is the main? Ken notes blown up in Havana Harbor. She's wagered 3,300, bringing her up to 9,900. Ken's looking for the joke. He finds it with, he says, <laughs> did Itai remember the main? And Itai did, in fact, and he's wagered 301, putting him at, at 13,801. So he's past Dennis. And then we go to Dennis and he has, what is the Washington? Hmm. With a $13,201 wager, he drops down to 599. Reasonable guess if you can't, you know, if you can't think of the ship, you're right. We like naming things Washington. <laughs> Yeah, um, not a bad guess. So not a general. bad guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that $13,201 wager drops him down to 599 And that means that Itai has his second win. And so on Friday, we have the contestants Allison Madsen, a health policy professional from Reston, Virginia. Daniel Moore, a contract compliance analyst from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Itai Sofer, a digital journalist and news producer from New Orleans, Louisiana whose two-day cash winnings total $26,202. And we have a Jeopardy round categories, Families in U.S. History, Modern Fantasy Lit, 3, 3, two three-letter words as correct responses, Good mm-hmm. Afternoon, Bands Across the Decades, and A Touch of Grey. Mm-hmm. Oh, the $600 level of Good Afternoon was a triple stumper in Anchorman Will Ferrell saying Afternoon Delight. In 2022, Will and Ryan Reynolds sang Good Afternoon in this Dickens of a film. Itai guessed what's a Christmas carol, but that's the, I think it's an Apple TV production. Mm-hmm. It's called Spirited. Yes. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was super good. I've heard good things about it. Yeah. I don't really have anything more to say about it, but I really enjoyed it. It was just, yeah. it was just nice. Nice. Yeah. We uh, touch on one of the wives of Henry VIII 
at the thousand dollar level of a touch of gray the daughter of the duke of suffolk she was only 15 when she ascended the throne that's lady jane gray and you did a deep dive on them the wives um, of henry the eighth mm-hmm. so if that name is not familiar to anybody it's in the back catalog yes or that one was listen- easy to organize yeah <laughs> or you could listen to the soundtrack of the cast, the cast recording of six yeah but you could do that too you could you do could both do, you could do both you could do one while you do the other Mm-hmm. wait that might not be advisable listen to them simultaneously like one in each earbud yes. or yes you could do plan. both <laughs> I, you should not do both yeah but you could mm-hmm. uh, further up in that category at the 200 hundred dollar level i don't know why this terrifies me but it does macropus gigantius the eastern gray type of this marsupial can cover 30 feet in a single bound daniel got it's a kangaroo 30 feet's really far it is yeah that's a really long distance and they like to punch <laughs> and they like, yeah, kangaroos are terrifying and they look like humanish enough. Like they are, they're bipeds. Kangaroos freak me out, man. Yeah. Yeah. Macropus giganteus is a pretty good species name, but also terrifying. Right. Also something about macropus yeah. made me think octopus. And so it took me a second to oh. let, let go oh, of no. the idea that this was a giant squid. Uh, remind myself that, <laughs> you know, what a marsupial okay. is. <laughs> Although what if a kangaroo had eight legs? Oh no. Oh, that's imagine how far it could leap. <laughs> eight times the distance. <laughs> the length of Australia. The length of Australia. Well, it's not that big, right? Yeah. It's it just one big. country. How big can it be? I'm pretty sure it's like as it's, big as uh, it's pretty, Europe. It's big. Yeah, it's large. Yeah. It's a large. Daily Double number one is in Families in U.S. History. At the $800 level, pick number four, Daniel finds it. He is at negative 200. Utah is at zero. Allison is at negative 1,000. We've had a tough first few clues here. He wagers a thousand and he gets the clue a week after this rich guy, the fourth, perished on the Titanic. An inquiry into the disaster began in a hotel with his name on it. And Daniel figures it out. It is Aster, referencing the Waldorf Astoria. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Daniel has taken off and pulled out to a pretty good lead. He's at 9,200 with Allison at 3,000 and Itai at 1,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are dying in the capital city, who's who in the Old Testament, science, around the house, TV shows, and in syndication. All the correct responses will be words that you can make out of the letters in the word syndication. For the most part, we... We're able to stick to that rule, but the $1,600 clue, it's another name for vitamin B3, which helps convert food into energy. Allison guessed, what is riboflavin? Those letters are not in syndication, but it's niacin. That's the Mm -hmm. other one. You did a deep dive on vitamins, yes? I did a deep dive specifically on vitamin C. Vitamin C. Yeah, but I think I covered like other vitamins in the quiz. Maybe? I think you I think, did. That, that must be I what I was that. thinking of. Yeah. 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 Niacin came to me pretty easily. Oh, speaking of 
things in the quiz, the $2,000 level of TV shows. As a teen, Claire Danes starred as Angela Chase in this series about the trials and tribulations of being a teen. Yes. Uh, that's my so-called life. We talked about that for a minute when we were talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. And I remembered it because Yay. of that. The $1,200 level of Around the House. There was a picture and then the clue was useful in home offices and guest rooms. They've been around for centuries, as in the 18th century painting of a lady on one. And Allison tried what is a couch, can ask her to be more specific, and she said a fainting couch, uh, which they did accept. They also would have accepted a chaise or a daybed. I thought of daybed. That felt like too many possible correct responses. Yeah. To me. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with them erring on the side of ruling something correct rather than incorrect. Yeah, in but general. like, but like, but maybe it, rewrite the question. Yeah, I agree. Oh, and Strindberg came up again. <laughs> we were again goofing around talking about Strindberg a few weeks, mm-hmm. a few weeks back, and here he is in dying in the capital city at the two thousand dollar level. August Strindberg going way heavy on the drama in 1912. And Daniel remembered that he was Swedish. So the capital city here is Stockholm. Yep. Yeah. Daniel also did a great job with the who's who in the Old Testament category. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what? Itai got the $1,200 and the $2,000 level. So Itai also did a good job there. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought the $2,000 level was a bit easy. I agree. Like who's the handmaid? of Sarah. <laughs> that one I feel like is knowable without being particularly invested in, you know, Judeo-Christianity or I- Islam given that yeah. she bore Ishmael, right? Mhm. Like, yeah. I feel like anybody with a little bit of tangential knowledge will at least know that one. Yeah. But, I I would think so, but also I don't always have a lot of clarity about what's common knowledge and what's specialized knowledge because so many Bible cl- clues I'm like, well, everybody knows that. Like, no, they don't. So, but if if you think that it was a little easy for the $2,000 level, I, I would agree. Daily Double number two is just above that one in the Old Testament category at the $1,600 level. Pick number five, Daniel finds it. He's at 12800 already. Itai's at 3200 Allison's at 5000 He wagers 5000 and gets the clue armed with trumpets and torches inside jars or pitchers. He led an army of 300 in victory over the Midianites. And Dale gets it correct with who is Gideon. That's impressive. I could not remember which particular Old Testament figure this one was. So I, I, the only clue I have is trumpets. Yeah. For Gideon. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And Daily Double number three is in Dying in the Capital City at the $1,600 level. Daniel finds this one as well. So he's found all three. It's pick number 10. He is at 20200 at this point with Itai at 4400 and Allison at 5000 He wagers 6000 And he gets the clue, suddenly ex-president for life, Papa Doc Duvalier. And <laughs> he knows that this is Haiti. And so the correct response is Port-au-Prince. Yeah. Did I mention that? I don't remember if I mentioned that. I know in the quiz I recently where did. we had yeah. Yeah, Baron Samidi. Yeah. Yeah. Papa Doc. Mm-hmm. That, I knew that because I just looked it up. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Daniel has quite a lock game. He's at 29,000. Allison is at 12,200. Itai is at 6,000. So it is double locked. 
The final Jeopardy category is books and authors, and the clue is in 1930, this author wrote Murder at Full Moon, a horror mystery novel set in a fictional town in Central California. Itai got it correct with who is Steinbeck, wagered mm-hmm. 5,000. Allison also got it correct with Steinbeck and wagered 183, so she remains in second place. And Daniel wrote who is London. I thought that was a cool guess, by the way, right? Who has like an obscure, like early 20th century American werewolf novel? Like, right. Jack London seems like a fine guess. Yeah. Although I will say werewolf was not mentioned in the clue. Oh, yeah. It's just murder at full moon. Which could be about werewolves. I guess full moon made me think of werewolves. And I was. yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it is. It could yeah. be. It very well could be. Yeah. But good, if that's, good point, if that's the direction I, he also went into, though. Yeah. Um, but it I is. Thought, yeah, I thought very clever. Yeah. But it is John uh, Steinbeck. Daniel loses 4000 So he wins with around $25,000. We will see him next week. So this is the point in the show where we remind you that we have a Patreon. We come to you hat in hand and say... If you could give us a few bucks a month, that would help us make sure that we can keep doing the podcast, breaking even. Uh, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can fairly consistently find quiz questions posted right after we record, if you want to sneak mm-hmm. peek at those before the episode is edited. And there is also some exclusive content. It's, for the most part, pretty old here, although Emily did talk about Oh, I was going to do my story story time. I forgot to do it. I'll do it tomorrow. A story time about finding a Luger in her church. Yeah, in the church closet. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see what that is. Those of us who are on Patreon and those of you who do contribute, we appreciate it very much. And we continue to be very grateful for your support. Uh, So once again, you can go there. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. And if you want to devote your money, to something a little bit more important than us. We encourage you to look at the show notes. There are some causes there that we feel are doing good work. Mm. Emily, what are your deep dive guesses today? What are my deep dive guesses today? Are we talking about Trajan? We're not talking about Trajan. I considered it, but I was like, I've already talked about other roman emperors okay i'll apparently. take caracalla off my list also then <laughs> how about irving berlin no but man that really feels like it would be in my wheelhouse huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> what about so there was that triple stumper about c.s lewis and J.R.R. tolkien i've done c.s lewis but maybe you're doing tolkien oh that was my that, that was up there That was definitely up there. But no, this one kind of piqued my interest. And I was like, I wonder how much of a deep dive I could really do on this. So, you know, who knows how much information this will really be useful. Or I just, you know, learned some stuff that I thought was interesting. Now we're going back to the Wednesday game. Jeopardy round. State insects at the $1,000 level. New Mexico chose the tarantula hawk, a type of this stinging insect that preys on tarantulas. That's a, a wasp. And I was like, you know, I don't really know anything about wasps. Okay. So we're going to talk about wasps a little the fly, bit. The flying insects, not the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I know a little bit more about those. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Because I'm like, 
you know, I'm trying to like teach my kids what things are. And then I'm like, I don't know. Is that a wasp? Is it a hornet? Is it a yellow jacket? I don't know what it is. Turns out all of those are wasps. So let's jump into it. I'm going to, I say that, and then I'm going to give more caveats there. I'm going to skip over a lot of like scientific names because I don't think it's super relevant to like trivia for us to have all of the different scientific names of things. I'm going to describe a few types, some general classifications about different kinds of wasps, a little bit about like diet and things like that and, and kind of characteristics. So I don't really think it's going to be terribly long, but hopefully we'll have a, a little bit better understanding of wasps when I'm done. So a wasp is any insect of the narrow-waisted suborder Apocrita of the order Hymenoptera, which is neither a bee nor an ant. So Hymenoptera is a large order of insects that includes wasps, bees, ants, and sawflies, which sawflies are flies that look a lot like wasps. So if you see kind of a yellow and black sort of wasp looking thing that doesn't seem to be really acting like a wasp it might be a sawfly and they Hmm. as far as i understand are are pretty much harmless to humans but yeah all of those are actually in the same order which is interesting i thought ants and bees and wasps they they have a, a common ancestor the most commonly known wasps such as yellow jackets and hornets are in the family vespidae and they are known as eusocial meaning they live together in a nest with an egg laying queen and non-reproducing workers and through that process, there is a sex determination in Hymenoptera, which is called haplodiploid. Haplodiploidy is the process through which males develop from unfertilized eggs and are haploid, and females develop from fertilized eggs and are diploid. I'm not going to get into what it, both of those means, because because I that's not what this deep dive is about. But the thing to take away... Males come from unfertilized eggs in hornet and yellow jacket nests, and females Mm -hmm. come from fertilized eggs, which I thought was interesting. So like I said, wasps are a a grouping of of hundreds of thousands of species, and it's sometimes used more narrowly for members of Vespidae, uh, which, like I said, include yellow jackets, hornets, and uh, members of the subfamily Polystinae, which are also eusocial wasps. Wasp fossils have been found dating uh, all the way back to the Jurassic period. Hmm. Yeah. So the Apocrita, like what, suborder in general appeared during the Jurassic and has diversified obviously since then and had by the Cretaceous. You know, that's many, many millions of years. So obviously lots of time for new species to evolve. Uh, Fig wasps, for instance, first appeared in the lower Cretaceous and we have fossils from Brazil some 65 million years before the first fig trees. Like I said, they're a very diverse group with over 100,000 described species and many more as yet undescribed. Uh, Almost every one of some different thousand species of tropical fig trees has its own specific fig wasp that has co-evolved with it and pollinates it. So apparently fig trees rely on wasps and they all have their own kind, which is fascinating to me. Uh, Many wasp species are parasitoids, meaning that the females deposit eggs on or in an arthropod host on which the larvae then feed. And some larvae start off as parasitoids, but later convert to consuming plant tissues that their host is feeding on. 
In other species, the eggs are laid directly onto plant tissues and form galls, which protect the larvae. And in some species, the larvae are predatory themselves. And, and in those cases, the eggs are deposited in clusters laid by other insects, and these are then consumed by the developing larvae. There are a few different very large species, including the Asian giant hornet, up to five centimeters in length, also known as the yak killer. There's the tarantula hawk wasp, which is a similar size that was from the the, the Jeopardy clue. Those are known as a tarantula hawk because they hunt tarantulas and other spiders. It has an excruciatingly painful sting to humans because its sting has a type of toxin in it, a neurotoxin, that for a spider completely paralyzes it. It won't completely paralyze humans, but it will cause severe pain. The scolid wasp is a solitary giant with a wingspan of 11.5 centimeters Mm. and has subspecies in Sumatra and Java. That's over... That's so big. And it's a parasitoid of the atlas beetle. The giant ichneumon wasp can get up to 12.5 centimeters. No, thank you. Yes. Yes. And has a very uh, long and slender ovipositor, which is what they use to lay their eggs, which is used for boring into wood and inserting eggs. The smallest wasps known are the mimeridae, which includes the world's smallest known insect, only 139 micrometers long. So like I said, some wasps are eusocial. They are social. They live in a hive. Like I said, the family uh, Vespidae and the subfamilies Vespinae and Polystinae. They have powerful stings and bright warning coloration, right? They're yellow and black. And they're frequent models for Batesian mimicry, which is the evolutionary, I guess, adaptation of other species to end up looking like a more dangerous species. So for instance, like, I don't know if sawflies actually count, but you see something buzzing around and it's yellow and black and kind of shaped sort of like a hornet or something. That's Batesian mimicry because that tells predators hey, I'm a wasp, don't come after me, even though it's not. Different social wasps place their nests in different places. Yellow jackets like to put nests in trees and shrubs. Other ones, leaves and branches. Polistis erythocephalus likes water sources. Other wasps like to nest in cavities that include holding the ground, space under homes, cavities or lofts. Uh, Yeah. On the other hand, there are solitary wasps. The vast majority of wasp species are solitary insects. So most of the wasps that we actually see are the social ones because they live in hives, so we see more of them, especially in our part of the world. But the the larger number of different species are solitary wasps. After having mated, the adult female forages alone, builds a nest, and if it does, that's for the benefit of its offspring. They'll build nests sometimes alongside of other species, sometimes not. They spend most of their time preparing these nests and foraging for food for their young, mostly insects or spiders. So many wasps will, like the larvae are carnivorous, and then later they consume leaf matter. Many species dig burrows in the ground. For instance, mud daubers and pollen wasps construct mud cells in sheltered places, and potter wasps build vase-like nests from mud, often with multiple cells. Predatory wasps normally subdue their prey by stinging it and then either lay their eggs on it 
leaving it there or carry it back to their nest where eggs may be laid on the prey and then they seal up the nest or put in more prey until i don't know their instinct says that's enough and there's enough to feed the developing larva aside from providing food for their offspring no further maternal care is given some wasps like the cuckoo wasp lay their eggs in the nests of unrelated host species much like the cuckoo bird which i assume is why it's called the cuckoo wasp they have a hard exoskeleton like all insects and they are known for the the narrow quote-unquote waist right if you're looking at a an insect that might or might not be a wasp and it doesn't have that narrow waist then it's probably some other species mimicking it like i mentioned adult solitary wasps mainly feed on nectar but most of their time is taken up by foraging food for their carnivorous young, like I said. Some social wasps are omnivorous, feeding on fallen fruit, nectar, and carrion, such as dead insects. But some are not. It depends on the species. And female sol- solitary wasps of certain species can avoid mating with their brothers through kin recognition, which is an interesting... From what I understand, scientists aren't entirely sure how like the exact mechanism but somehow it seems like wasps are able to recognize some kind of chemical signature emitted by other wasps that have similar genetic makeup and so they're able to avoid inbreeding and the you know genetic mm-hmm. problems that come with it wasps are pollinators as much as we may hate them <laughs> and they are nuisances to us they are pollinators or at least well, I should take that back. Some species are pollinators. Okay. Some of them play no role. Some of them effectively transport pollen. Wasps do not generally have fur-like covering, like you know honeybees do, or a special body part for pollen storage. It doesn't stick to them as well, but even without hair, several species are able to effectively transport pollen. And like I like I mentioned, the you know the fig wasps that apparently. Every fig tree has its own wasp. Most solitary wasps are parasitoids, like I mentioned, where their eggs are, you know, placed somewhere else, either on another creature or in another creature's nest, or, you know, somehow somehow the young are placed among another species or another kind of creature. And some of them are considered actual parasites, like the cuckoo wasp or jewel wasps. Mm. most wasps are predators and many of them attacks and sting prey that they use for food as their larva like i said and models as mimics. they are predators but they are all also prey the wasp sting does deter many potential predators however the bird family meropidae known as bee eaters specialize in eating stinging insects they pluck them out of the air to catch them, and then they remove the venom from the stinger by repeatedly brushing the prey firmly against a hard object. The honey buzzard is a a raptor that is known to attack the nests of uh, hymenopterans, eating wasp larvae, and it is the only known predator of the Asian giant hornet, or the yak killer. Roadrunners are the only real predators of tarantula hawk wasps, which is interesting. And then there are also other insects known as the bee wolf, is, is known as the bee killer wasp or bee eating philanthus. So it is a type of wasp that kills and eats other wasps. Some species of wasps are used in horticulture. They're exploited to provide biological control of insect pests, such as the 
Ethylinidae or Braconidae species. So several species of parasitic wasp are natural predators of aphids and help control them. That's basically what I have on the wasp itself. The term wasp shows up in other places. For instance, the wasps RFC is an English professional rugby union team. Mm. And they're known as wasps FC. There's a basketball club in Australia known as the wasps, also a football club in Scotland. The wasp waist was a fashion trend around the turn of the 20th century. That's just a sharply cinched waistline. Yeah. And wasps show up a lot in literature. There's a science fiction book called Wasp by English writer Eric Frank Russell from 1957. The girl who kicked the hornet's nest, right? Or Mm -hmm. whatever it is from that, that book. Aristophanes wrote a comedy called The Wasps in which the wasps are a chorus of old jurors. Uh, Shows up all over the place. Charles Darwin talked about them in a letter to Asa Gray. He says, I own that I cannot see as plainly as others do, and as I should wish to do, evidence of the design and and beneficence on all sides of us. There seems to be too much misery in the world. I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designedly created the Ichneumonidae, which is a, a species of wasp, with the express intention of their feeding within the living bodies of caterpillars or that a cat should play with mice. Mm-hmm. So an interesting take on that. That's what I have on wasps. Yeah, nice. A little bit, little bit of stuff about wasps. Yeah. So I have not d- thought about wasps this much. Oh, yeah. Now I, I haven't have. really either, except like a couple summers ago when we just, we just had yellow jackets. Everywhere. All right. Are you ready for a quiz? I absolutely am. All right, here we go. Question one. The Frankford Yellow Jackets was an NFL team from 1924 to 1931. After financial hardships, a fire at their home stadium, and lackluster performance in their final season, (laughs) their assets were taken by the league. Uh, A year later, those assets were given to Burt Bell and Lud Ray, who founded what team in the same city, a, a currently recent Super Bowl contender. The Yellow Jackets' colors of black and yellow are now associated with a different NFL team from the same state. Huh. All right. So their colors of black and yellow are associated with a different team from the same state, but you're looking for what team is from the city that they're from now. Yes. Okay. They were from a neighborhood called Frankford. Okay. Or Frankford. So uh, I see a couple ways of tackling this. I can think about what states have more than one NFL team, right? Because Mm -hmm. there need to be Mm -hmm. two. I can think about NFL teams colors and try and figure out if I know which one is black and yellow. Okay. So my NFL knowledge, it doesn't always come come through for me, right? Like I've studied the lists, but I can never remember all the teams at the same time. But black and yellow, I think I should be thinking Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm always afraid that I'm going to accidentally switch sports. <laughs> Pennsylvania does have more than one NFL team. So the Philadelphia Eagles is my guess. That was good. It was the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Aha, I got a yeah. football question. 
Nicely done. So uh, apparently Frankfurt is like a neighborhood or like a part portion of Philadelphia, I guess. I don't know. And yeah, their assets were handed over to for the establishment of a new team <clears throat> that they called the Eagles. So the Eagles are not like, it's not like the Yellow Jackets became the Eagles. They're, they're separate teams, technically. And apparently, after that 1931 season, it wasn't until 1999 that any team from Philadelphia won in Chicago, won a game in Chicago. I don't know. It's some, some weird, like, they did not do well for a long time. Anyway, you got it. Philadelphia Eagles. Nice. Yay. Question two. The title of what 1987 science fiction slash action film is also a classification for wasps. It starred Arnold Schwarzenegger in the main role, leading a team of commandos in the jungle of an unspecified South American country. By the end, nearly all of them are dead, but that didn't stop numerous sequels from being made, including crossovers with another sci-fi horror franchise. However, no evidence exists that wasps ever fought a xenomorph. I haven't seen the movie that I'm going to guess, but I... I think it fits from what I know. I'm going to guess Predator. It is Predator. Yeah. Nice. I had a hard time writing that <laughs> question because I was like, Predator, I want to write something about Predator. I don't know if Emily has ever seen Predator. I don't know if she knows anything about it. So maybe I'm just giving a bunch of superfluous information that she doesn't need because she's like, oh yeah, 1987 science fiction. Yeah, it's definitely Predator. <laughs> but yes, it is Predator. And the xenomorph is the alien versus the, predator. Is that right? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. That was the alien that from was, alien. That was helpful. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> All right. You're at 20 points. Question three. Many species mimic the appearance of wasps to deter predators. In Roman mythology, what chatterbox of a nymph was cursed by Juno to only be able to mimic the last words that were ever spoken to her? Is it echo? It is Echo. Yeah, apparently she was either purposely or inadvertently distracting Juno from paying attention when Zeus would go on one of his many jaunts to hook up with, you know, various nymphs or mortals or whatever. And when Juno kind of caught on to that, she cursed Echo to never be able to speak her own words again. Hmm. So, and then later Echo runs into Narcissus and that's its own, that's its own myth. Cool. You're at 30 points. Question four. Cuckoo wasps often have bright, vibrant, psychedelic coloring. Speaking of cuckoos and psychedelics, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is probably the best work of what author who also experimented with LSD and was an early participant in the illegal human experiment MKUltra? Ken Kesey. Ken Kesey is correct. Did lots of acid tests. Ken Kesey did. Mm -hmm. I read a little bit about him. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. Interesting person. Also read a little bit more about MKUltra. Not great. Mm. Not great. But that's not what this deep dive is about. It's about you getting 40 points and moving on to question five. In Looney Tunes cartoons, Foghorn Leghorn is often accosted and harassed by not a tarantula hawk, but what diminutive bird? I don't know. What diminutive? Not a tarantula hawk, but makes me think I should say sparrow hawk, and I don't know why, but I'm going to go with it. Oh, sorry. It's, it's a chicken hawk. It's a chicken hawk. 
Is a sparrow hawk even a thing? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But Foghorn Leghorn is a chicken. Oh, I don't yeah. Know oh, that makes sense. Remember any of the any of those cartoons with the mm -hmm. little tiny chicken hawk who's always trying to take him in? I don't remember those ones. Well, a sparrow, I do. A sparrow hawk <laughs> is a thing, so I didn't make okay. up a word, so that's good. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. All right. But a chicken hawk does make more sense given that Foghorn Leghorn is a chicken. Yeah. All right. You're at 40 points. The final category is something that I didn't think about motor vehicles. Uh, wager all four. Okay. You probably know where I'm going with this. I think I do. <laughs> Uh, what scooter brand founded shortly after World War II and popular among active city dwellers in Europe is named Wasp in Italian? Vespa. That is Vespa. Don't know why they called it Vespa. I guess it looks like a wasp. It sounds like a wasp. Oh, That's probably that, it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Apparently after Italy agreed to uh, cease hostilities with the Allies, they faced a number of sanctions and so they turned their manufacturing of like war machines toward automobiles and vespa was one of the results of that yeah cool um yeah well, hey, 80 when, points when you, yeah oh, 80 points when you said when you said motor vehicles i like wrote down vespa it's <laughs> 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 like mm -hmm. that's what it's gonna be i'm pretty sure like yeah, yeah. that's a, yeah it's a good good direction to go this was this was very fun so thank you as always and thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. Our Patreon is at patreon.com slash potentpotables if you want to head over there. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, tell them about our podcast. It's so fun. <laughs> you, yeah, you can, you can all have fun with us. You can find us at <laughs> Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpodablescast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com. Yeah. Should we make a threads account? I don't really keep up with our social media accounts. I don't. That we do have, I, so. I, I, I kind of want to let threads stabilize because yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of like, oh, people are signing up and also, oh, people are leaving because mm -hmm. apparently it, it, it goes real hard on the data mining and all of that. It, I've heard it goes very hard on the data mining. I, um, I don't think us going to threads is going to make any difference at this point. So I think we're not. okay. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Bye.